Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter number 1. John, chapter number 1. We are in a dangerous, dangerous situation because there is no clock on that TV right now. So I'm going to go ahead and get my phone out right here. I am going to make sure that it does not time out because if I don't have a clock tonight, we will never make it home. We will never make it there. John chapter number one. Y'all forgive me. I'm okay. Not that. Oh, here we go. Auto lock. Never. There we go. Okay. Now. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's word. John chapter number 1. All the chapters of the Bible are worth both standing for and bowing down to. Did you know the Word of God says that God magnifies His Word even above His own name? But here in John chapter 1, we see Jesus. Not just the Jesus that was born in the manger, but the Jesus that was from everlasting to everlasting. For we read in John chapter number 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and the same came for witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave it the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and he dwelt and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, I pray that You would bless us tonight. Lord, just give us a glimpse. Just allow us to behold Your glory tonight. Dear Father, I pray that You would empty me of myself. Dear God, that You would fill me with Your Spirit. And Lord, that you would accomplish by the meagerness of my words what I cannot accomplish with the entire vocabulary of the English language. Lord, that by the Holy Spirit of God that you would open our eyes and that we would see you high and lifted up. And that we would see our responsibility before the rest of this world to turn the light on that they too may behold your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Hold your place there in John chapter number one. If you'd like to join me for just a moment, I'm going to read just a few verses out of John chapter number four as we fast forward eternally from Jesus' beginning, for he had no beginning. For he was from everlasting to everlasting. He is inhabiting eternity, even now as we speak, not bound with time, but I believe omnipresent in it and present with us here in this sanctuary at the same time that he was there in that manger. And if you ask me to explain how that works, I can't. I can't. I cannot explain to you everything about our God, for He is uh, beyond my understanding. His ways are past finding out. And by the way, that's one of the things that makes Him God. He's beyond us. And I read that that eternal God and the image of the Godhead bodily, Jesus Christ, found His way to Samaria. He felt that He must needs go to Samaria You might say that Jesus was on a mission trip and he found himself there at the the well of Jacob and he sits down on it and this Samaritan woman comes by. He strikes up a conversation with her and begins to reveal the fact that he is the Messiah which should should come. I am most interested, however, in a statement that he makes concerning this particular mission trip. This lady that was unredeemed, this lady that was in sin, this lady that knew some things religiously. She knew about Mount Gerizim. She knew about Samaria. She knew that the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. She had all of this religious knowledge, but she did not know Jesus. And all of that religious knowledge, by the way, was a waste. It did not benefit her. It did not help her. Instead, I I think perhaps it even hindered her. And now here she is face to face with the one whom John the Baptist declared was the Lamb of God, which is going to take away the sin of the world. Oh, but she didn't know it. And Jesus makes this statement concerning his mission trip. In verse number 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain concerning worship, neither in this mountain, nor yet in Jerusalem, worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. Boy, doesn't that define the entire world? I have no idea what they're worshiping. I could put you on a plane and we could fly out of Tyson McGee and make some connections in Atlanta and fly over the Atlantic Ocean and and land in numerous countries throughout Africa. And we could go by the witch doctor's huts and you would find people. And this, by the way, does exist. This is not some cartoonish character, but this is a religious fervor all throughout Africa. This, uh, This spiritual awareness, but yet they are so blinded in it and they'll seek out the help of a witch doctor for their ailments and they, they, in surrendering themselves to that reality, they bow down to it and they worship it, but if you were to ask them to explain it, they would have no explanation to you or for you. They worship, they don't know what. I can take you to, to town and 
and cities of millions of people, larger than any city in the United States of America, bustling with activity and bustling, overwhelmed with religious temples and practices in Hinduism. And you could go by by temples to this God and that God and and that God over there and, and come across little children as well as elders in those villages and ask them, what kind of God is that? And they wouldn't be able to tell you much about it, but yet they'll bring offerings and worship it, for they worship they know not what. And I could take you into public schools and public squares here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And the tragic thing is this, is that their life is full of worship, but they don't even know they're worshiping. They're bowing down to the God of culture as if He is able to give peace to their soul. And they have found His ability to minister to them so lacking. But instead of pulling away and searching out for the one true God, they go all in thinking that maybe they're just not committed enough to what this culture has to offer. And they worship they know not what. Oh, they worship science, falsely so-called, by the way. They worship education. They worship humanism. They worship themselves. And the most difficult thing about it is that they don't even realize that they're worshiping. If you were to ask the evolutionist if he is a religious man, he would say, no, I am not religious at all. My God is evolution and my belief is atheism. But he bows down every facet of his life and cast all of his faith on those religious theories and, or those scientific theories and speculations, hoping that they're true. And his hope is lost. And he's worshiping more intensely than perhaps even you and I. Jesus is on a mission trip. And he looks into the eyes of this lost woman. It says in verse number 22, Ye worship, ye know not what. And then he makes this statement in verse 23, But the hour cometh, the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I would love to unpack all that is in my heart concerning verse number 23, but time will not allow it. I would like, however, to look for just a moment at the very close of verse number 23. For the Bible says this, as Jesus is speaking about His desire to reach this woman, His desire to redeem her soul, to forgive her sins, to pull her out of that desperate condition that she's in, He gives, He opens the window that we might see in to God's desire for missions. And here it is. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Have you ever considered the fact that the reason for missions is not necessarily to pluck a sinner out of hell, although it is that. The reason for missions is, is not exclusively to redeem or reconcile lost man to God for the benefit of lost man. But instead, 
There is a call to missions, a call to evangelism, a call to reach the lost that is even greater than the benefit to the one that is lost. And it is the benefit to the God that we worship. And here it is, that God, why is He seeking the lost? Why is He saving the lost? Here it is, is because He is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Do you realize that all over this world, as the sun sets on their horizon and they go to their places of worship, their temples, their mosques, their idols, or their own lives, and they look to bow themselves down, they are bowing down to something that is less than their maker. Meanwhile, their maker looks over the balconies of heaven into hearts and minds and bodies and souls that he knit together in their mother's womb. He breathed life into their nostrils with the hopeful expectation by the power of of the gospel that their lungs would exhale praise towards him one day, that their knees would bow to him, and that their lives would glorify him. But instead... The billions of this earth walk this earth, earth, and their heart is worshiping some idol, some God fashioned by the hands of man. Oh, and the heart of the Father is grieved. So he tells his people to go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to every creature. He gives the promise that, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, even unto the end of this life. And here it is, that this desire for God in missions, it's not just about reaching souls to save them. It's about reaching worshipers to praise Him. And the reason that sometimes it's difficult for us to see this objective of missions is because we have stopped beholding His glory. For just a few moments that we have here tonight, I'd like to re-examine John chapter 1 that we might behold His glory. You see, missions work is an act of praise. We're recruiting worshipers for God, worshipers that will bow their lives before Him, that will bow their knees before Him. And that is the great goal of missions. If you look closely with this in mind and within our hearts, we see it unmistakably on the pages of John chapter number 1. Why do we believe that God does such a beautiful work here through the Apostle John in describing the glories of God before describing the fact that He sent a messenger? Look at this missions um, man in verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
This man was a missionary, if you will, a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might make the way straight, that he might prepare the way so that when Christ came, that that people would realize that this is the one that they have been looking for and this is the one that they have been hoping for, that they might bow themselves before him. And it says in verse number seven, for the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. I love the fact in verse number 8 that it describes him with this capital L and this word light. He was not that light but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And here we are, sometimes we bear witness of the fact that the world is sinful and we bear witness of the fact that they are in need of the Savior. Oh, but we forget sometimes to glorify the fact that he is the light, that we bow before him, that we glorify him, that we praise Him, that He is the, the thing that illuminates all of our life and that He is worthy of our life. Amen. So three things quickly that may help us in this. The first one is this, is that we need to behold His life. We need to behold His life. And if Jesus were just another man like you and I, with life just like you and I, he would not be worth our worship. But he's not a man like you and I. That's why the text begins in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Oftentimes we look at our own life and in those moments of introspection we, we examine it and, and we sometimes feel joyful about the things that we have accomplished and sometimes with despair we look into the catalog of our life and we become a little disappointed about the things that we have not achieved or the mistakes that we've made. And in that we see our life and I, I think back to when I was just a, a young boy and, and the perspective that I had on, on earth and how immature and small it was. I can remember one day in particular, I was, um, hadn't been riding my bike for very long. I just kind of learned how to ride it. And it was one of those fall days where the temperature was just right and the wind was blowing and leaves were blowing with it. And I decided one morning as a, as a little boy that I am going to get on my bike and I'm going to follow the wind and see where it takes me. So I got on my bike and, and I, I pedaled and I said, well, I need a starting point. So I kind of figured out which way the wind wasn't blowing. And I rode in the opposite direction, you know, to get more length in. And I got, you know, the upper right-hand part of our yard and you come out of the front door. It's kind of downhill, right? So I could really get going. And I just took off, pedaling as fast as my little feet could. Oh, it was great. The wind was in my hair and my eyes were on the end of our property because the wind was going to take me there. And then mom said I couldn't go any further. So I just stopped there because that was my world. That's all I knew. That's all I understood. Now I've traveled. 
I have circumnavigated the globe. I've been on every single continent except Antarctica. I have met people from different cultures and languages and, and backgrounds. I've, I've seen abject poverty and, and I have seen wealth like I have never believed, never believed could even exist. I have gazed unto the heavens and I have looked unto the depths of the sea and I feel at some times that I have seen it all but I have still just seen the edge of the property of my life. But when I glimpse into the fact that his life and I try with all of my mental ability and all of my imagination and every ounce of intellect that, that God has given me and imagination that He's supplied to me. I can never look far enough back to see the beginning of God. For He is infinitely old, if I could say it that way. He is infinity times infinity times infinity times infinity. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is not bound by time. He is not one day older tomorrow than he is today for he is outside of all of it. Have you ever considered that the life that was in Jesus Christ bodily was eternal? Forever and ever and ever. It was past every horizon and every universe and every galaxy. And as far as any telescope can see is the being of God and the Word of God says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It says in verse number three that all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. I look at the vast expanses of this universe and I remember the principle that a creation is always smaller than its creator. The more understanding and capability and resources we have, the greater creations we can create. Skyscrapers, which will touch the sky, spaceships that will launch into, they call it outer space, but if we really knew how big the universe was, that word Outer would be embarrassing. Oh, it's inner space. The creation is always smaller than the creator. When I look at our creator, I think, oh, what a God he is. Oh, what a life he has. And the words of Jesus were this, when he comes down to verse number four, the Bible says, in him, in him, in that life, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus said it this way in John chapter number 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And sometimes when we read that verse, we do the thing that we are so guilty of. 
is that we think about how he's speaking those words to us and the implications for us. In other words, when he says that I am the way, then what we mean, what we um, hear by that is he is the way for us. And then when we read him say that, that he is the, the truth, that he is the truth for us. And then when, when we read that, that he is the life, that he was the life for us. And all three of those things are absolutely true. But have you considered the fact that he did not limit the way, the truth, and the life just as it pertains to us, but as it pertains to all things? There is only one way, and he is it in all things. There is only one truth, and he is it in all things. And this notion that we have in this world, that you can have your truth, and they can have their truth, and I can have my truth, is absolutely ridiculous. There is only one truth, and it doesn't belong to me or you or the news media or some politician. The only one that owns the truth is God. In the same way, the only one that owns life is God. When we behold His glory and when we look firstly at His life, let's understand that it's not just His life, it is the life. It's the only life. The life that we have, He has only lent to us from Himself. I have said this before, but I believe that repetition is the key to learning. But when the Bible says that God is almighty, it means that He has all might. It means that any other might, any other strength, any other resource, any other ability had to be had to flow from him. And it is true with life as well. God does not have to take your life. He simply has to stop giving it because it's his anyway. He is the life. Why was it that God had to form man out of the dust of the ground and before that dust could become life, God had to give that life to him and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and then and only then did man become a living soul. That's why it says in Colossians chapter 1 that that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of every creature. I love that terminology. He is the firstborn of every creature. Does that mean that God was born? No, that's not what it's talking about. What it's speaking of is where life comes from. In order for me to get my life, I had to be born of my parents. It's speaking of almost a generational sense that I could not have life if it weren't from them and we could not have life if it weren't from Him. And He is the firstborn of every creature, every single ant that walks this earth got its life from his life. Every single human that's ever walked this earth or will ever walk this earth got its life from him because he is the life. Every tree that sprouts out from the ground and has life and has a seed within itself and the ability to reproduce after its kind got its life not from the soil of the earth nor from the oxygen of the air but from the life life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing has ever had a conscious thought that God did not allow them to have by giving them life. For by him 
where all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The goal of missions is not just To reach a soul and see them gloriously saved for their benefit. So that they would realize that they were created to worship the one that gave them life. It's amazing. And if that wasn't enough... Might we be reminded this evening that when we behold His glory and when we look at His life, sometimes we forget that, that, that this overwhelming, infinitely powerful, eternal life, can I say it this way, is still alive. Oh, we're the worst. Boy, the, the idol worshiper goes to their idol and in a, in a moment realizes that, you know what, this, this thing is wood. We did carve it just a few years ago. It does not have life. Oh, and sometimes they pretend it does. But for us, we know he has life. And sometimes we allow ourselves to be convinced that he does not. Oh, in Him we live and we breathe and we have our being. And how do we have that being? It's because He has given us life. Because He is alive. Oh, the comparisons that we give just with Jesus as we examine that empty tomb and we're reminded of what the angel said in Luke chapter 24, that as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to him, the angels, why seek ye the living among the dead? And we rejoice at those times of, of resurrection when we see the Lord high and lifted up, that he has come out of the tomb, that he is alive forevermore. And in those moments of religious enthusiasm, we glory in his resurrection but God help us if we don't remember right now as we turn our hearts towards missions that he said lo I am with you always and that life that he has that abundant life that only life that life everlasting is with us as we go, he tells the disciples to say in Pentecost to remain there, to stay in Jerusalem and remain there until Pentecost. Why? So that his life would come and live in us. Oh. He's worthy. And this God This God, there are so many people in this world who need to know that there is a God like this in heaven that is worthy of their worship. We need to behold His life.
But his life did something incredible, the life of Jesus Christ. It says this in verse number four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. It's not enough just to behold his life. We need to behold his light and realize that that same light that shone down upon us and opened our eyes to where we can come and we can sing his praises. That light needs to be shined all around the world. Our God, if I remind you from John chapter number 4, our God is a God who is seeking such to worship Him. That was the purpose of Jesus Christ. Yes, to forgive sins. Yes, to redeem man. Yes, to reconcile with God. Why? So that man could worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's why we see in the book of Revelations, while all the saints are gathered there in that heavenly realm, that we find thousands times and thousands and thousands of thousands gathered in that th- throne room, singing praises and worshiping and crying that He is worthy, the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Why is that in Revelation? Why is it so important for us to see now what God wants us to see later? Because this is the goal that we might see more added to that heavenly choir that He may receive worship and honor and glory. Oh, that others may behold our God. The only way that's going to happen is if they behold his light. You know, he came into the darkness. We think that our days were, are dark. And make no mistake, they are. They are. You know, we get so frustrated. John, we get so frustrated sometimes. And, and we encourage ourselves. And, you know, knocking on, on doors. And people come. And, you know, we'll have a decent conversation. And we never see that person again. Don't know what happened. You know, maybe they received Christ. And we encourage ourselves. And, you know, maybe they didn't. And, but, well, we can, we can go to house after house after house. And, and sometimes I get to feeling like, am I just not doing a good enough job? Or is it my soul winning partner? I just blame Jeff. I'm not doing a good enough job. Like Nehemiah, like, did I just not say the right words? Did I just not do the right thing? Did they just not see God? And then I'm reminded. I'm reminded that, that when this light came into the world, when this light came into the world, the Bible says this. It says, In verse number 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him. Oh my, what a thought. And the world knew him not. And he came into his own and his own received him not. 
Oh, and I can imagine, here I am getting frustrated and sometimes upset when I'll knock on the door and they won't take a track and they won't hear the glorious message of their creator, the fact that they are living in his world and they have his life and here is his light and they just want to close their eyes and live in darkness. And I think, what's their problem? And then sometimes I think, well, what's my problem? And this is the eternal God. How come their hearts aren't being turned? And then they're reminded, even when he came, uh, they didn't all turn back to him oh but the ones that got a glimpse the Bible says to as many as received him to them gave you the power to become the sons of God oh we need to behold his light you see his light was a shining light look at verse number five the Bible says and the light shineth in darkness The very next phrase, and the darkness comprehended it not, but their lack of comprehension did not turn off the light. I've heard so many people say, well, Pastor Jared, that just doesn't work anymore. (laughs) Then quit. Go ahead and quit. Go ahead and quit if you think that doesn't work anymore. But it didn't cause Jesus to quit. He shined his light straight into the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. But it didn't stop him from walking every step and obeying the will of the Father. That the Father would receive glory. That he might die for the sins of the world. That he might pass that baton of the gospel on to the apostles. That the apostles might pass it on to their disciples. That the churches might pass it on throughout the ages that one day we would receive that same baton and turn on the light and keep shining it into the darkness for he is worthy and oh the moment that where our thumbs begin to get weary and look to click off that light may we behold his glory and be reminded that he is worthy oh it was a shining light It was a shining light that wasn't afraid of the darkness. Not only was it a shining light, but it was a persevering light. Look with me at verse number 7. And the same came for witness, to bear witness of that light. I love this phrase, that all men through him might believe. In my Bible says all men. All men. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. And you know the Bible says that Jesus Christ came that he might taste death for every man. The book of Romans says it this way. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John chapter number 3 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen church, it is God's desire. It is the heartbeat of God. It was the mission of God. It was the mission trip of God that all men might behold his glory. That all men might see that light. Now they have a free will of what to do with that light but it is our responsibility to behold his light for ourselves and then shine that light in a persevering way into all of the world. And some may say, well, well, God is sovereign. And in that sovereignty, he elects some to to go to hell and, and some to go to heaven. That's not what I see in my Bible. 
That's not what I see here. Uh, there, may be, there are going to be some that will be on their way to hell. And there will be some that will be on their way to heaven. But the Bible shows us that he tasted death for every man. That he is not willing that any should perish. That he came and his desire was for all men. So who are we supposed to be witnesses to? We are supposed to shine that light that all men might behold his glory. You know, it, it's, it's my desire for every single one of our missionaries that as they reach out into the place that God has called them, that they might turn on the light that those in that nation will turn from their wicked ways, will turn from worshiping idols to beholding the glorious light of our God. We behold his glory. And in that we behold his life. We behold his light. And lastly, we behold his love. We be behold his love. I am taken by what verse 14 says. It says, and the word was made flesh, that eternal life. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Look at this last phrase, full of grace and truth. I'll be honest, if he came and was just full of truth, he would be righteous but I would be in a mess because I know the truth about me. I know the truth that I am an, a wicked sinner. I know the truth that I am unrighteous. I know the truth that in me dwelleth no good thing. That's the truth. And if he had just come in truth, we would have all been in trouble. But the Bible doesn't say that we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, just full of truth. But the Bible says that He's full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And you might ask, where did that grace come from? It came from the manifold love of God towards His creation, which is us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Bible says that He commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. The Bible says in 1 John that God God is love. And this nation, this world needs to behold the fact that they've got a God that loves them. Oh, it breaks my heart that there are so many in this nation and others that are running from the one who loves them most. Oh, it reminds me of wayward children. Wayward children as I see their parents broken and in tears desiring to, to bring them back in and desiring nothing more than to wrap their arms around them and let them know that they love them one more time. But the rebellious children run just farther and farther and farther. Oh, but how much sweeter and how much better it would be if those children would just come back. And realize that they are loved.
There's a whole world that does not know our God. The God. And if they would just be able to behold His life and His light and His love. Oh, the life that could be changed. Church, that's our mission. That's why we go. That's why we have these missions revivals because we need to remember these things that this is the reason that we are here. The Father is seeking worshipers. And it is our job to seek them out. They might be blasphemers right now, but if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, they're going to be worshipers. They might be drug addicts right now. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. They'll be worshipers. They might live in some far corner of Burma or, or some cold place in the Arctic. Uh, they might be on some Caribbean island or in some Middle Eastern deserty country. But I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of them. And no matter what they think they are now, they will become a worshiper of the living God. Oh, that they would behold His glory. Let's get a burden for bringing worshipers to God.